Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Well, welcome back to the One Voice Podcast. Super pumped today. I have a good friend of mine with us. Her name's Connie Anderson. She's the Director of Justice Ministries for the Great Lakes East Region of InterVarsity. And um, just been a good friend of mine. We go to the same church. We have a lot of the same friends and we have a lot of same passion. So welcome, Connie. Thanks. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk a little bit today just about what you do and just your heart and, and just talking about crossing lines. Um, I think that's something that especially the millennials are thinking a lot about recently and, and just how do we step across the road and, and meet people where they're at, no matter what their journey looks like, their story, where they identify, um, all those kinds of things. But I wanted to start out next week. Mary and I are actually going to talk to um, a group that you gather during spring break because you work with a lot of college students, right? Right. And um, so you do this thing called Abolitionist Plunge. And tell us a little bit about that. And then we'll talk a little bit too about what we're, we're going to present with you. Sure. Yeah, the Abolitionist Plunge is um, a week-long immersion learning experience. That's where we got the term plunge. Um, and so students are just plunged deep into the world of fighting human trafficking. And um, we use the term abolitionist based on the old abolitionist movement in our country from the time when slavery was legal. And at the time that slavery was legal, there was, of course, uh, a movement that arose of abolitionists. And it was led by people like slaves who had gotten free. Say Harriet Tubman, mm -hmm. who um, then people who were helping other people get to freedom, whether these were former slaves or whether these were people who had never been enslaved themselves, but it was a network um, allowing people to move toward freedom. And whether that was through um, physically getting people free or working related to laws um, and fighting on that level, but on all different levels. Um, that movement. And so uh, because human trafficking is modern day slavery, this is a modern day abolitionist movement. And so the abolitionist plunge is a deep dive for students who give up their spring break instead of binge watching something or, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, they are from early morning until night um, involved in the same types of things where we are learning from uh, the Bible. We're learning from survivors. We're learning from the people who are at the front lines of fighting trafficking and helping other people get to freedom, whether that's through um, like working with the FBI going in and busting trafficking rings and um, a social worker with the FBI who comes in as a victim specialist to help victims, mm -hmm. whether it's people who are fighting trafficking through raising awareness, uh, whether it's through street outreach, whether it's through the law, um, through the courts, uh, the catch court that we have here in central Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, so we go there and meet with the judge there, whether it's through fighting demand. And so uh, we always have a man who comes and talks about his own walk as somebody who has um, struggled with sexual addiction mm. and how that played out in his life, even while he was a pastor. Okay. And, um, and he tells his story very honestly mm. and with great vulnerability and um, then talks about how he has learned to help other people, how he's walking now in 
in sobriety, he uses that same term that people use in um, addiction circles, sobriety related to that sex, sex addiction um, for uh, you know many years now. And it's helping other people, other men, um, actually globally now through global networks, um, but also locally um, in that same journey. And so it's a very multifaceted approach um, of learning from uh, people and then also going out and doing things ourselves. And one story I love to share was a couple years ago, um, we always go out to the hotels and do an outreach, usually with Teresa Flores and the Soap Project. If um, I, I know you're familiar with that. I'm not yeah, sure. If and she's been on our are. podcast um, a couple months ago. She was on. Great. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And so we usually go out to the hotels and we have posters with pictures of missing kids who might be trafficked in the area. And so this one particular night, we sent our teams out. They went to all the different hotels and one team accidentally, and I believe that this was not just an accident. I believe there was a plan um, that was higher than my plan Mm -hmm. when um, they went out and they accidentally had an extra packet of materials. And so they finished going to the hotels that were on their sheet that they were assigned to go to. Mm-hmm. And um, at one of the hotels, the person behind the desk said, oh, you ought to go over across the street. There's a new hotel over there. I bet they'd be interested in that. Mm-hmm. And this was a nice new hotel. And so they went to the hotel across the street. And the person behind the desk looked at the poster. And she looked at it real carefully. And then she pointed to one of the pictures. And she said, yeah, that girl. She was just checked in here about 20 minutes ago. Wow. She was being trafficked out of that hotel at that very moment. Mm. And the lady behind the desk said when she came in, it just gave me the creeps that something didn't seem right. Mm. And she kind of described the situation. But she said, you know, I I can't tell somebody, hey, we're not renting a room to you because you give me the creep. You you can't do that. No, you can't do that. (laughs) And so, uh, but she, you know, mentally made a note of that because it just was disturbing her. Mm. And so then when our team came in, then they knew, you know, who, you know, who it was and what to do. So they called the the National Human Trafficking Hotline number. Mm which I'll just go ahead and say it right now so that people can make a note of this. I always tell people, enter it into your phone now. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And that number is 888-3737-888. And I'm I'm saying that in kind of a funny way, spacing the numbers, you know, in the way we don't normally space them, but it helps you remember. Mm 888-3737-888. And that's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And so um, so our team called the hotline and reported on what they had just been told. And the great thing is the next morning, we were already scheduled to have a detective who works with the FBI Anti-Trafficking Task Force mm-hmm. come to talk with our students. Mm-hmm. And so he came the next morning and he was the one who had gotten the call. It had <laughs> gone to the National Human Trafficking Hotline and then it had been routed to him. And so, so he was able to, you know, first of all, the students were saying, saying, why didn't the SWAT team come? Why didn't they come kick down the doors? Why didn't they do anything? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and Detective Dennis said, oh, you're expecting it to be like on TV, right? <laughs> we're like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, we know how this goes. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, 
And he said, eh, that's actually not how we do it in real life. And right. he explained all the really good reasons why they don't do it that way in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the great news is um, a couple days later, you know, I got back in touch with him and said, well, can you tell me anything? And he said, well, this girl's been recovered safely. Wow. So oh. that was just one of those times when you think, man, you know, I could have been binge watching The Office one more time. <laughs> Or I could have gone to, you know, yeah. to go and do Be something that saving somebody's life. Right. Amazing. So, yeah, That's pretty really crazy. Cool. It is yeah. crazy. But wow, how life changing for those college students yeah. to be a part of that, and um, you know, just to listen to your intuition and and make that extra step, you know, like we say, just crossing the street and being yeah. willing to do that extra thing that you weren't planning to do. But it ends mm-hmm. up saving exactly. someone's life. How amazing that is. Exactly. Well, I'm wondering a few things along that, Connie. Um, sure. Wh- one, how is it that you are able to mobilize college students? You know, I speak at a lot of colleges and universities across right. America. And so often students, especially survivors of abuse, are very passionate about mm-hmm. human trafficking. This mm-hmm. is a topic they want to be a solution for but don't know what to do. And being an abolitionist myself, it's like I'm always looking at what the next thing is. Look around me. Where can I start here and now? You know, Mm -hmm. um, networking with the right people and all of that. Um, But for many, they don't even know what that looks like, where to begin. And so I'm wondering, you know, what is it that you do to get students to give up a spring break to, you know, come and do this? And also, is this something that's open to others like uh, that might be listening could they possibly do this with you and if so absolutely please share that information. absolutely i would right i would love that um so let me start with that question and then i'll back up um so to get the information about it and i'm doing this next week and then won't be doing another one for a little while but um but the website is Go with IV, IV stands for InterVarsity, so go with IV.org slash abolitionist plunge. Go with IV.org slash abolitionist plunge. So that will give um, the information and um, they can contact me or, or learn more about it from there. Um, but in terms of how, you know, how students get involved and then what they can actually practically do, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about crossing lines, and um, and I'm a grandma. I'm a baby boomer. And so um, college students, you know, are the age of my, kind of in between my kids and my grandkids at this point, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I love this generation of college students. And it's it's interesting because we're actually at a point where those generations are changing. You know, the generations have different names. And so the generation that's known as the millennials um, those folks are now in their mid-20s and, and 30s. So they're kind of out of your traditional college student age now. So college students now, if you think in the traditional sense of college students, and that's changing, of course, a lot too. But we're talking about, you know, your 18 to 22-year-old age range that's the next generation. That's not millennials anymore. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're still trying to kind of figure out what, I mean, that's a generation that doesn't have an official name yet. They're either iGen or Gen Z or something like that. 
And we're still kind of trying to figure out who they are and what makes them tick. But the big distinction in terms of from the millennials to the next generation is how old they were on 9-11. And so millennials have an actual personal memory of 9-11. And those before that do not. With millennials, it's really a justice generation. Yes. Um, it's It's a generation that, you know, for a lot of different reasons, cares deeply about justice. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons, honestly, is this is a Harry Potter generation. This is the generation that grew up reading Harry Potter as the books came out mm-hmm. and um, not just watching all the movies first and then going back and reading the books. And they have that strong sense of, I want my life to matter. Yeah. I want to stand, I want to be brave. Mm. I want to stand for truth. I want to be part of Dumbledore's army. I don't want my life to just be this private, personal, take care of me, but I want to link arms with other people and really make a difference on behalf of those who are marginalized, Yeah, which is what it was in Harry Potter. They were, you know, the, the people who were being marginalized. um, And, and so they were rising up against them. And this is a generation that cares deeply about people who are being marginalized and rising up to stand with those those groups, those people. Um, I think another thing that's interesting, just from the perspective of age, when I was young, if somebody was being bullied, you know, and I think everybody got bullied one way or another, but, you know, the kids on the school bus would make fun of my name. And my mom would just say, just ignore them, you know, yeah. not a big deal. Just hold your head up high, walk with confidence. Anti-bullying training focused on helping a victim not to be a victim. So uh, parents would be told, get your kid into karate or something so that they have the confidence that they can take somebody down. It was very individualized and it was very much focused on how not to be a victim. Um, And, you know, when we hear the same things talking about sexual abuse, you know, don't wear this, don't walk there. Um, Lots of how not to be a victim. Mm. When... The Columbine shooting happened, and that was in 1999. There was a sudden realization that victims can turn around and become very dangerous. People who've been bullied um, can turn around and become very dangerous. And that same year, there was a Supreme Court decision um, that said that schools can be liable for failing to stop student-to-student sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And those things together, the anti-bullying approach changed. And so there became this big focus on bystanders. Yeah. And it's not just, okay, if you're being bullied, go take karate lessons. It's if you see somebody being bullied, mm-hmm. you step in. Yep. And you don't let that happen. Yeah, speak up. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah. So we have a generation that's been raised with being trained. Yeah. When I see something happen, I speak up. Yeah. And that's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So for for college students and and you know and the millennial generation, it's not hard to have people say, "I want to be involved in justice." Um, that's not a that's not a question. That's not really something that you yeah. have to persuade anybody of. Mm-hmm. It's more how do I channel that impulse? Right. How do I do that in a way that can actually make a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, because 
you know, when we're starting out on the journey of trying to be an abolitionist or trying to be involved in justice, the first thing we tend to want to do is something that makes us feel good about ourselves, whether it actually makes a difference or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, you know, that makes sense. Sure. But we have to get past that. <laughs> you know, we have to get beyond that where we're asking the questions of, is this actually going to make a difference versus is this just me yeah. being able to, you know, to tell the great story about I went in the hotel, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. like, yeah. what, what if that doesn't happen? Yep. You know, what yep. if I don't have a great story to tell? Mm -hmm. And so a big part of what um, we focus on in the abolitionist plunge and in general is helping people know we want to do what's actually going to make a difference. And that might not be dramatic yeah. and that might not be heroic yep. and it might not be glamorous mm -hmm. and it might just be boring. Because <laughs> we all have a role to play. And that's, yes. I think a lot of it is knowing the social justice movement and being a part of it oftentimes means filling your role for the bigger picture. And yes. so it's humility. It's not exactly. glamour. It's often exactly. humility. And right. even the ones that are on right. the front lines, it's not pretty. <laughs> it's soft no. and messy and scary. Very, very, very. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So in, uh, you know, one of the things that is so needed is for people to inform themselves when we're talking about trafficking, inform themselves about what trafficking is and how it happens, because there are a lot of false narratives out there about what trafficking is and how it happens. Um, and the truth is often pretty different. You know, the, the false narrative that it involves kidnapping, that it's like the movie Taken. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's the image that, that we have. Or sometimes you'll see these stories going around social media that'll be these warnings. Um, and it's always about something that they say almost happened um, I was in a parking oh, right, lot right. and I saw somebody looking at my kids and boy, it was so close. I know that they were traffickers and they were going to take my toddlers yeah. and they were Watch going to, Watch out for a target know. on Morse Road because yes. they're yes. lurking and going to steal yeah. your babies. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or yeah. I was going share. to Ikea yeah, and I kept share. seeing the same man. And so, yeah, but it's not share. It's always don't share, copy and paste. Oh, yeah, copy and paste. And the reason paste, yeah. that you do that when you copy and paste is that it always sounds like it's your story. Oh, yeah. And True. so it's now happening in your neighborhood. Now 500 people have had the right. same experience. Right. Yeah. right. So it's happening everywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, traffickers are not out there trying to steal toddlers at Ikea or the Hobby Lobby parking lot or whatever. It, it, you know, they don't want toddlers. Toddlers are a lot of work. You know, <laughs> Nicole and I each have one. And, we know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you yes. know. Yeah. And, and and that's not the age. And if you kidnap somebody in our country, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a big fuss. Mm -hmm. And depending on who the person is, and sadly, this impacts a lot of other things related to privilege and race and poverty and all those other kind of things. But depending on who the person is, there can be a lot of media attention. Mm -hmm. And so that's not, that's not the way traffickers go about it when there is a much easier way. Mm -hmm. And so we get all worried about the parking lot somewhere, mm -hmm. or we get all worried about somebody being kidnapped, um, like the movie Taken. 
but we're not paying attention to what they're really doing, which is meeting vulnerable kids online. And we're not looking at the vulnerability factors. We're not looking at things like um, if a kid has experienced childhood trauma, they're a whole lot more vulnerable. Right. Um, Kids in foster care are highly vulnerable, Mm -hmm. Um, which is not to say that it can't happen to anyone. And Teresa Flores is an example of that. This is somebody who was not in what you'd think of as a vulnerable situation. Um, You know, intact family, you know, good schools and good neighborhood and all that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, but the more vulnerability factors you have, you know, the greater the risk. So in terms of what we can do, one of the really important things we can do is kind of jumping ahead of those vulnerability factors by spending, in investing in kids that would be, you know, potentially in, in a vulnerable place, whether that's big brothers, big sisters, um, for people who can uh, do foster care, um, some of those kinds of things, uh, sponsoring kids mm-hmm. through um, organizations overseas, through, um, you know, orphanages, like I think you've had uh, Asia's Hope, mm-hmm. um, where you're getting ahead of it. You know, it, it's far better to have a kid never get trafficked than to rescue a kid out of trafficking. Right. So that's not nearly as dramatic mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel as heroic, but it's so incredibly important. So that would be a huge thing. Um, Another thing is just educating people. And, um, and there are a lot of ways to do that. And so getting educated ourselves and then educating other people Mm. and, and your podcast would be, you know, a great example of doing that. Um, And then plugging in locally to organizations that are already doing something. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I would hear Students, for a period of time, it seemed to be a really popular thing of people saying, well, I'm going to start my own nonprofit yeah. someday. Yeah. Emphasis seemed to be on my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> as if this is just this easy thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, you have no idea. Yep. You know, this is this is like starting a business, only it has a whole lot more complications to Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so rather than starting off by saying, I'm going to start my own nonprofit and just jumping in, get involved, find out what's already going on in your own community and get involved. And then maybe if there are some holes that need to be filled, maybe that's something that, you know, as a Christian, I would say God would call somebody to do things that fill those holes. But I would always say start by getting involved in what's already happening. Such good insights and completely 100% behind all of that. I also love the fact that you are a white grandma and (laughs) so in touch with all of this, you know, and have been able to personally cross so many lines with people, people on the other side that don't look like you, don't think like you were brought up to think. Don't have, you know, you don't have their experiences. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, you're leading college students and you understand them, you know, and you also talk very well on race and gender and sexuality. And, um, you know, we've already kind of talked about the generational piece, but what about all of those others? Mm-hmm. Like how, right. how have you been able to do that? I think there's a lot of listeners today who have 
a white grandma in their life that cannot get in touch with them right. where they're at. Right. And I'm just wondering right. what that looks like for you and, and how you would maybe talk to somebody else in your shoes to help them come alongside and do those things. Because we need sure. we need people in our life like a Connie Anderson. <laughs> That's nice of you to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the whole, interestingly, I, I do a talk called A White Grandma Talks About Race. <laughs> yeah. um, either a, a shorter talk or a longer training. I love that. And a that white all grandma came talks about. about race, yeah. <laughs> that all came about when I was invited to go speak at um, one of the colleges in Michigan. And I thought that I would be doing one of my kind of normal talks. And then they called me back and they said, actually, this is the week we're focusing on racial justice and Trayvon Martin's mom is going to be coming. Would you talk about that? And like an idiot, I said, oh, sure. And then I hung up the phone and I thought, what am I doing? What made me think this was a good idea? You know? yeah. and, and I had that awful feeling, like the feeling you get when you get on a roller coaster oh. and it looks like it's going to be so much fun. Yes. And no, then you start at that first fun. hill and you hear that click, click, click. And with <laughs> oh. every click, you're realizing this is higher than I thought it was going to be. This uh-huh. is, oh, I, no, I changed my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, have enough, I have enough drama in my life. I don't need to ride real roller right. coasters. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I was, as I do about, you know, just about everything I was praying about, you know, those prayers of like, oh, God, oh, God, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it just, I thought, well, I'm no expert on this, but I did realize that at that point, I think Randy and I've been married like 37 years. And I thought, well, this, I've learned a lot of things through being married that I think could apply. And so that's, where it went. That's how it started. And so I started by just talking about some lessons that we've learned the hard way usually and how that applies on a larger scale when we're talking about racial justice issues. Mm. So for example, one of the lessons that it, it should not have taken us nearly as long as it did to figure out is that if one of us says that we have a problem, that means that we have a problem. Oh yeah. That It's not that if one of us says we have a problem, then he has a problem or I have a problem, that problems are ours and they're not his and hers. And that came about through a circumstance where I was experiencing something and Randy wasn't experiencing the same thing at all from this person. Mm -hmm. And I just kept feeling like, why don't you believe me? Um, this This person is really acting, you know, very differently toward me than they are toward you. And it just didn't even register for him. Like, how could that be? I know this person and that's not how they act. And I remember the thought going through my mind, I wish I had a video camera so you could see. Yeah. And then as I was preparing, you know, for this talk, I realized that's what our African-American brothers and sisters have been trying to say for so long you think you know how it is mm. and you don't mm-hmm. believe us. If we just had a video camera, then finally we could show you and you would believe us. Mm. And now we have videos and still a lot of times right. we don't believe. Right. Yeah. And we still are saying that's not my problem. Mm. But if we are you know, going to be connected. We have to, first of all, say we have a problem, not just you, mm-hmm. but we have a problem. 
And so it went from there to just talking about, you know, another thing that Randy and I have realized is that, you know, the importance, obviously, of communication and listening and listening, not just to turn around and debate um, or turn around and, you know, try to, you know, prove somebody else wrong, make my point, whatever it might be. Mm. But sometimes even when we're trying really hard to listen and to listen well, we still miss each other because we're using the same terms, but we have a different meaning. Oh, yeah. So our 10th anniversary, yeah, our 10th anniversary, we, you know, wanted to do something romantic and, and we both agreed that would be great. Let's do something romantic. Well, the problem was, of course, we had very different ideas of what the word romantic meant, you know. <laughs> and it's funny because I never even have to tell the story. It's not even all that great of a story. I never even have to tell the story because everybody immediately puts their own story. Well, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, fill in the blank on that That's one. funny. Okay. Um, so we ended up, instead of having this wonderful, memorable, it's memorable, but not, not, the not wonderful. Did, you know? <laughs> Wonderful right. for one. Yeah. Right. No, instead it was lots of money and lots of tears. And so, mm. so, it, but it's the same way when we're talking about racial issues, you know, when we hear terms like even something as simple as racism, mm. that the way I grew up, I grew up to believe that that meant an individual person who had this prejudice in their hearts and was acting out of this prejudice in their hearts toward another person. Mm. And so I would think, well, I'm not doing that. So I'm not racist. And so, and I don't really know anybody else who does that. So there must not be very much racism in the world. And I didn't know that there's another definition to the word racism besides what I grew up with, that very personal one-on-one and that has to do with a whole system that's based on the concept of race mm. and based on the concept of white people being better than everybody else. Mm. And it's so pervasive that it's like written into our constitution right. originally. It's crazy and, when you look you know, at that stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the whole sense of manifest destiny and all of these things that 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 white people are superior Mm. and that system then created all kinds of ways of that of being worked out certainly slavery we all know about that Mm -hmm. but in my mind and maybe i was sleeping through history class and that would be very possible but you know (laughs) somehow i got from lincoln freed the slaves to martin luther king with sort of unknown in between that not really knowing what what was going on during that period of time in between. Mm. Um, And so becoming more educated about what actually was happening during that period of time and all the ways that laws were being used very unfairly um, and how that continued and still continues to have impact. Soldiers coming back from World War II who couldn't get loans to buy houses, couldn't get mortgages to buy houses, or couldn't buy in certain areas because of redlining. And so you have white people then being able to have the value of homes that has increased in value. And then, you know, most of us live in our nest eggs. It's not like we have this huge bank account, but, but because we're, we have those who have homes, 
um, own their own homes, that's increasing value that then gets passed on to the next generation. If you don't have that, you're not passing on value. Mm. If your home is an area that's been redlined, where it's considered uh, an area that's not worth, you know, worth very much, not worthy of mortgages, then if your roof leaks, you can't go out and get a, an equity loan to get it repaired. And and it just spirals down the opposite direction. And so there's not this um, this cumulative effect of being able to pass on, um, you know, that that money from generation to generation and, and the stability that can come with that and the opportunities to do things like go to college or whatever mm-hmm. um, that can come with that. So, so just understanding that racism is something that is not just personal, but systemic. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of different things along those lines where we use different, we use the same term, but we have completely different meanings. And so it can be so helpful to just learn those things and then have that attitude of, I need, I need to be schooled and I need to learn. Um, but that doesn't mean that I need to go out and find a black friend and insist that they tutor me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> um, right. kind of like, you know, things that I could learn on my own, I, you know, <laughs> and do mm-hmm. that because once again, that's that attitude of somebody else is here to serve me mm, um, yeah. as an unpaid tutor, mm. uh, somebody who has a lot of, personal um, expertise, and instead of treating them as an expert, who should be paid as an expert, mm-hmm. we can so easily act like, well, you should just be grateful that I, now I'm interested in this. Right. And, you know, Interesting. that's not how it ought to be. I'm thinking about that also in terms of sexual abuse survivor and, yes, yes, you know, support person, spouse, yep. parent, when... They have no clue what it's like, what the effects are like, what the healing process looks like, but they expect the survivor to school them on it. When we're working it out ourselves and we're trying to figure it out, you know, I'll never forget when my counselor said, you know, if you, if your spouse had cancer and you knew nothing about it, you would, you would want to learn about that. You would want to school yourself Mm -hmm. separately from your spouse or friend or whoever it is that has this disease you're not going to ask them to educate you they're going through it yeah yeah they're going through chemo thank you they're not yeah exactly Mm -hmm. yeah how important it is if you're going to cross the lines and try to meet someone where they're at and humble yourself to a point of understanding your privilege that you don't have to carry this cross you don't Mm -hmm. have this thorn on your side they do you know whatever that might be but to Right. To take the initiative to educate yourself independently and then bring Absolutely. what you're learning to the table in a compassionate Absolutely. manner. That that's really powerful. And you're right, it, it crosses, you know, into race, crosses gender, it crosses into even trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Is there other things that you feel like have been helpful to you, even just um again in relationship, you know, as someone who hasn't been in their shoes. And maybe it's not about race. Maybe it's something else. But, um, you know, just if there's anything else that sort of sticks out to you. I think probably the key, and and this is so basic, but just having the attitude of being a learner, of, of the humility of 
of saying, I need to learn really from every person I meet. I need to learn from them. And, um, you know, it's so easy to get ideas about different groups of people from the media, whether that's through um, different cable news or whether that's through movies or, you know, whatever it might be, um, getting ideas versus really listening to real people mm-hmm. and, um, and hearing their stories and hearing where they're coming from, not with an attitude of, I'm here to set you straight, I'm here to change you, I'm here to fix you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I'm here to learn from you. And um, one of the things we talk about with the Abolitionist Plunge and, and other projects like that that we do in university is that we're not looking for um, the idea that I'm coming to somehow, you know, fix you, change you, you know, whatever, but, but this sense of, of mutual transformation. Mm. I am changed as I get to know you. Mm-hmm. You are changed as you get to know me. Together, we're walking at, you know, walking this out, um, you know, as a Christian, when I'm uh, with other people who love Jesus, we're walking this out with him as our guide, not with me as our guide. And I don't presume that everybody I know wants to be a Christian or is a Christian or anything like that. But for those who do want to follow Jesus, he's the guide. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, that just changes everything um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, when I realize that, that other people are the experts on their own experience. I'm I was not. just going to say that. <laughs> Our last podcast was on empathy, and that was something that yeah. stuck out to me so much as we were discussing that topic on empathy is that empathy means, you know, understanding that the other person is the expert of their experience and we're not here to fix them or or make them feel better. We need to listen to their story. And that goes right along with what you're talking about. And I really, I really relate to that. And I think, um, you know, being able to be in relationship with other people, allowing someone different from you to walk with you through life. And I think it really is one of the most beautiful things I've experienced in relationship. And then just mm-hmm, being absolutely. on this earth at this point in time, um, there's just so much beauty in that. Absolutely. I, I think it's interesting that a lot of times in the world that we live in now, if I don't immediately have something in common with you or bond with you, I, I can't even dive into a relationship with you. We've missed that basic foundation of mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. respect for another human being mm-hmm. and just knowing right. that her differences are what sometimes strengthen the bond to another level yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we could have never gone to. And I've even seen people posting on Facebook saying, you know, just because I disagree with your opinion on X, Y, and Z doesn't mean I dislike you as a person. Yeah. And I think that's mm-hmm. so true mm-hmm. is that you can still love and respect someone within your own family or your own, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, place of work or in a group mm-hmm. that you're involved in. And you can still have this solid um, relationship in the midst of all of your differences. We've been missing that for so long. Right. (laughs) Right. Because our our generation grew up being told you should never talk about politics or religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that's just not a polite thing to talk about because because it divides people. Yeah. Well, you know, we're seeing today. Yeah, it sure does. Yes. <laughs> you know? yep. But yeah. at the same time, what needs to be taught is how to talk about these things. Yes. 
so that we can learn how to do that with respect, with integrity, and with humility. And there's certain people that you just know you can't go there. But yeah, you can right. talk about other things with that person. It doesn't mean that you cannot have a relationship with them. Right. You just know the boundaries there that, well, if they're going to go to yeah. that topic, we're probably not going to do well today at this right. dinner. Yes. Right. So yes. we're going to just yeah. yeah, not go there today. Yeah. And, yeah. But still inviting yeah. them to the table yeah. and setting the right boundaries, right. you know? Yeah. And boundaries are very important. And I know you certainly know that. And certainly <laughs> talk about that. Definitely. That's really good. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share, Connie, from your deep well of wisdom? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very kind. I, I just think Jesus is always inviting us into relationships with other people and often in um, into situations where we're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I co-lead a, um, a small Bible study for some trafficking survivors. And so there are like eight of us, I think, or six of us. I don't have to stop and think how many. I mean, this is not like a big number. I should be able to count. But anyway. We'll say close um, to 10. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But, um, but those ladies are, I have just grown so much from being with them and learning from them mm-hmm. and, and essentially sitting at their feet. Mm. Because when we look at, the Bible together, and and we often study the stories of Jesus relating to different women, Mm -hmm. whether that's the woman at the well or the woman who came up and touched the hem of his garment or, you know, different stories like that. And these are stories I've known for years and years and years. And these ladies will say, that's my story. Mm, Yeah. And then they'll explain exactly how that is their story. And I feel like I am on holy ground here. I am right here seeing Jesus touch the woman. Oh, I need to just shut my mouth and <laughs> listen and mm-hmm. be here and and just worship him. Yeah. yeah. Because seeing how when he's touching somebody's life, oh my goodness, there's nothing like it. And to hear his stories through the lens of someone that's not like you. How right. powerful that right. can be. You know, we hear if you grew up in the church, especially if you're a privileged person and grew up in the church, you mm-hmm. hear the same stories with the same message. But right. to hear right. it from a trafficking survivor or, you know, a couple mm-hmm. couple mm-hmm. podcasts ago, we had Christina Cleveland on here and hearing her yes. tell a story through the eyes of a black woman, you know, it's just incredible right. to right. hear those stories. Right. And they, yeah. And it takes She's on a whole on new quite a journey in that area. Yes, yeah. yes. But it takes on a whole new meaning and it has new power Mm -hmm. to it. You know, it doesn't get old. It's not stale. It's it's new. And I think being able to be a privileged person and enter into the story, even Jesus stories, that is really cool through the marginalized. But it takes it takes the willingness to set aside that time. I mean, for you to set aside that time in your busy schedule to sit down with those six or eight. We don't know, but um, (laughs) women. Ten. Yeah. You know, but that is a commitment. It kind of depends. There have been a couple people in and out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. you'll have that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I commend you on that. And I think that's something that. Many of us, again, privileged people in the church, white grandmas out there who want to (laughs) love their granddaughters who've been through sexual trauma and don't know how, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it it means sitting at their feet sometimes. 
exactly. It does. Well, that's really beautiful. Well, thank you, Connie. This has been just a delight today, and um, we're really grateful for all that you do. And we're excited to come alongside you next week in your abolitionist plunge in Columbus, Ohio, and just to share a little bit about, you know, our stories and what we are doing and empower the students that are giving up a spring break. I love that. <laughs> so. Quite the sacrifice. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Hey, right. Well, so have a wonderful day, both. Connie. Yes. Thanks All right. so much. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.